I stood there in disbelief and shock for several minutes as Andy stood at my front door. She finally shook her head and asked, Are you going to invite me in? I did just travel from Texas, you know. I quickly snapped out of my frozen state and said, Yes, please. Then I proceeded to ask a million questions. What are you doing here? How did you get here so quickly? And where are you staying? She interrupted me, stepped closer to me, saying, Whoa, slow your roll, cowgirl. I'll tell you what, let's go to dinner and I will answer your questions. So we took the elevator to the street level, walked one block to my favorite Chinese place, and we sat waiting for our food. In that time, Andy explained that Amy flew her here and put her up at the Marriott. I asked which one. She said the one at Times Square. And I said, wow, Amy did that? She said, yeah, she did. I was blown away asking myself, who does that? And why? Our food arrived, and the evening unfolded as we shared stories, laughter, and a few lingering gazes. After dinner, we decided to take a leisurely stroll through the city streets, enjoying the cool evening breeze. As we admired the city bright lights and the sense of possibilities that New York always seems to offer, Andy reached over with her hand and entwined her fingers with mine, as though she had done it a million times before. She said, I just love New York in the fall, and I agreed. As the night grew late, we made our way back to my apartment. I asked if she wanted to come in. She said, no, I should get back to my room and shower and sleep. It's been a long, exciting day, and again, I agreed. She drew me close, placing her hand on my waist, slightly pulling me in, and kissed me goodnight. I said, wow, two kisses goodnight in a row. Last night, Texas. Tonight, New York. What state do you plan on kissing me in tomorrow? She playfully responded, The state of bliss. I simply smiled and groaned at her sense of humor. The next day, I stood out in front of the extremely tall building made of glass and steel that housed the architectural firm of Lancaster Spivey and Associates, where I was now to begin work. After months of interviews and life-altering personal development of meeting my father in Texas, I was back at work, excited but nervous. I took a few moments, taking in the building's impressive architecture. The morning sun glistened off the reflective surface, warming my face. I entered the sleek, minimalist lobby and rode the elevator to the 42nd floor, when the doors opened, I was greeted by a very cheerful and bubbly receptionist, Lisa, whose red hair matched her personality. I could not help but match her infectious smile. Good morning, Roxanne, she said. She stood up and instructed me to follow her as we walked back to the interiors department. We quickly arrived and she introduced me to my lead designer, Tabitha, a seasoned interior designer known for her innovative concepts. Lisa reminded me of the location of my office by pointing to it and saying, and if you recall from the interview, that is where your office is located. I thanked her and asked her if Leslie was here. And Tabitha interrupted and saying, no, she's always running late. I asked Lisa, could you please call me when Leslie arrives? She said, yes, ma'am, and walked back to her station. Turning my attention to Tabitha, she welcomed me with a warm smile and did say that they were falling behind in their projects. I said, well, good morning to you, too. She said, did you not hear me? I said, yes, ma'am. It all sounds exciting. She says, yes, but we're behind, she repeated. 
I said, yeah, I got that. And I assured her by saying, but it's just a temporary situation, right? Which is our first priority. She smiled and her shoulders relaxed, and she agreed, yes. Then I added, we got this. Now, I'm going to grab some coffee. Would you like to join me? Sure, she said. We worked our way back to my office, and I thanked Tabitha for the tour and explained I would like to take a few minutes to unpack. My office had a window view of the New York City skyline. The natural light streaming in filled my workspace with warmth and inspiration. The space was empty except for the typical standard issue U-shaped wood manager's desk and matching round conference table on the opposite side of the room. I took a moment to appreciate the view of the city skyline. As I was unpacking and putting things away, there was a knock on my open door. A tall, impeccably dressed man entered. His name was William Stanton. He was the vice president of the New York office of Lancaster Spivey and Associates. His reputation for being all business preceded him, but today he had a more casual demeanor. He surveyed the room and said good morning as he approached my desk, his eyes landing on me then down at some of my sketches spread out upon my desk. He had one hand in his pocket while the other slid my drawings across the desk as he meticulously examined them. His expression thoughtful, and he said with no emotion, I just wanted to welcome you and see that you have all you need to jump in. As we explained in the interview, we are in a deficit and need you to get us back up to speed. I was not getting the warm fuzzies from him, but did say, Thank you, Mr. Stanton. It's only been a few minutes, but I'm settling in and quite confident I will have us back in favor with our clients and vendors in short order. Good. Just what I want to hear, he said. How about lunch tomorrow, he added. Oh, yes, sir, I said. That will be fine. I will be around all day getting up to speed and detailing my plan of action. Great. Glad to hear that. I will see you tomorrow then. Contact me if there's anything I can assist with, and he walked off. About then, my phone rang from Lisa up front, informing me that my project manager, Leslie, had arrived. Leslie sheepishly stood in my open doorway and stated, I was told to see you. Yes, Leslie, come in and have a seat, I said firmly. She walked towards my desk and sat in one of the two guest chairs facing me. I began the conversation. Leslie? I have learned that you have this pattern of being late. She interrupted and said, Oh, God, you're firing me, aren't you? Am I being fired? I'm being fired, aren't I? Oh, I can't lose my job. And I had to interject, Leslie, Leslie, no one is firing you yet. <laughs> I said with a sly, casual smile. Then I asked, Why are you always late? She went on to explain it was a daycare issue and a subway timing thing. And I said, Okay. I asked her child's name, and she sweetly said as her eyes lit up, Gunner. Gunner, I asked. That's unusual. Is that Scandinavian? German, she explained. I named him after my grandfather who died in Vietnam. It was my grandmother's idea. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. What happened? She said, well, I have an article of it here I found written by a reporter several years ago. And she handed me her phone, but first pointed out the pictures of her cute two-year-old. I said, oh, he's adorable. And then she pulled up the article, and I scrolled through it and read the tale of this little-known and untold Vietnam skirmish silently to myself. According to the article, three PT boats patrolled the murky waters of the Mekong Delta. Their engines were humming as the crews stayed alert. The Vietnam War had been raging for several years, 
and the U.S. Navy's PT boats were critical in carrying out covert missions along the Delta's labyrinth waterways. This particular mission was classified, the destination undisclosed, but the crew's resolve was unyielding. The three PT boats codenamed Phantom, Thunderbolt, and Viper. I paused right there, and then I started to read out loud the names of the seasoned officers. Lieutenant James Razor Reynolds, Lieutenant Jake Skeeter O'Donnell, and Lieutenant Michael Gunner Zimmerman. And I looked at Leslie with a pang in my heart. I then continued to read the article in silence. They had been entrusted with a mission to disrupt the enemy's supply lines and gather critical intelligence deep within the enemy-controlled territory. As they moved silently through the twisting canals, they navigated through the darkness and uncertainty, knowing that danger could be lurking around any bend. Their vessels were heavily armed and their crews well-trained. But the element of surprise was often the enemy's greatest weapon. And they knew this. They were on high alert and they observed the night with all their senses. The moonlight barely filtered through the dense jungle canopy, giving the river a ghostly appearance. Suddenly, and unmistakably, the rattle of AK-47 gunfire erupted from the shore. Phantom took the first volley, their deck erupting in splinters as rounds struck the metal surface. Lieutenant Zimmerman gave orders to return fire as the other two boats moved into formation. Viper and Thunderbolt returned fire towards the enemy positions, the red tracers streaking through the night sky. Then the firefights fell silent, allowing Phantom to regain its footing. But the crews were now hypersensitive as they waited the next exchange of fire that they were sure to come. Hidden along the banks, the enemy launched their own PT boat from the dense foliage. This adversary, codenamed Nightshade, was unlike any the American crews had ever faced before. It was more sleek, more swift, and more heavily armed than their predecessors. A fierce Navy battle ensued in the twisting water channels. With Nightshade using their knowledge of the terrain to outmaneuver the American boats, Phantom, Thunderbolt, and Viper fought fiercely, their 50 caliber machine guns and 40 millimeter cannons roaring in response. The night was filled with the staccato of rhythm of gunfire as explosions of rockets lit up the sky. After a grueling fight, a well-aimed rocket from Thunderbolt found its mark, sending nightshade to the river's bottom in a fiery explosion. At that point, the tide had turned, but not without heavy casualties. Phantom had taken the brunt of the damage, and Lieutenant Zimmerman and several crew members had been wounded. Despite the chaos, Lieutenant O'Donnell's quick thinking and the crew's medical knowledge were enough to get them aid until they reached the base. Unfortunately, Lieutenant Zimmerman succumbed to his fatal wounds just as the sun was rising over the Mekong Delta. The three PT boats limped back to their base, severely ravaged, their crews forever bonded by their shared ordeal as they mourned the loss of one of their own have once again shown us that there is brotherly love that needs not to be said out loud because it is proven to each other in their loyal actions in the darkest depths of hell and the chaos of war. I fell back in my chair and exclaimed, wow, that was intense. It's hard to believe that that actually happened. I'm so sorry. And Leslie said, it's okay. It's not like I ever really knew him. I never even really knew my father.
just been me and Grandma. Okay, Leslie, well, here's what we're going to do, I said. Just get here each morning as soon as you can. No need to rush, but get here as soon as you can and find me as soon as you get here. Can you do that? Leslie said, yes, I can do that. I said, okay. Next, I would like for you to provide a list of projects we are currently working on and their status by noon today. Can you do that? Again, she said, yes. I then said, I'm going to ask that you pick up some lunch for you and me and Tabitha today. It's on me. Can you do that? Again, Leslie chuckled at how simple I was breaking down the task and said, yeah, that's not a problem. Then she added, I'm constantly running errands for Mr. Stanton. I cringed a bit, but remained poker-faced. And she elaborated, Yeah, I pick up his dry clean and lunch all the time. I said in a neutral tone, Yes, that's fine. Please let me know if you're coming and going. You're going to be the key to get us back on track. Yes, ma'am. I said, Okay, well, please get started on the project report. We will have a staff meeting tomorrow at 930 is that enough time to get here? And she said yes and thanked me. The rest of the day went as planned. It was a good first day. I was packing up to hurry to my small apartment, excited to see Andy this afternoon. I started to text her when my desk phone rang. It was Lisa from up front saying, Andy is here to see you. <laughs> I stammered, okay, but send her back, please. I was pleasantly surprised and met Andy halfway hugging her in the hallway. She simply asked, where's your office? We arrived, and she said, oh, wow, this is nice. I'm really impressed. And I said, impressed to stay over with me tonight? That hotel can't be that nice. She said, oh, sorry, sweetheart. That's why I stopped by. I have to go to Dallas. I said, well, can we at least have dinner together? She says, I'm sorry, I have to leave now, but I'll be back in a few days. I said, a few days? What the...